I would say that uh, as a person who did your doctorate, you would have to be like a tr- strategic problem solver. And, and you'll have, in a sense, to be detail-oriented. And one of the things I brought was that empathetic persona or demeanor. So therefore now, one of bringing that into the science communication, what I learned is that you have to really take the time to know your audience and to define your audience and not to assume that you know. So that's one important thing. So I learned a lot about breaking down who your audience is, not only in terms of just the basic demographics, but you know, psychographics of the thing, how they feel. Welcome to this new episode of Papa PhD. Today, I have the great pleasure of having with me Dr. Alberta Joseph Alexander. Alberta has a PhD in plant science from the University of the West Indies, St. Augustine campus in Trinidad and Tobago. She has a natural ability to tell stories and, ha- and, as a result, her enthusiasm for science communication allows her to simultaneously enjoy science and storytelling while disseminating knowledge for the benefit of society. Presently, she's producing her first documentary. Welcome to Papa PhD, Alberta. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm super, super happy to, to have you here. I'm super glad that you you were able to find a moment to come here on Papa PhD to uh, share a little bit about this science communication adventure of yours in in a way. Um, and uh, I'm really really curious about this this film that you that you are preparing that you're working on. But uh, before we go through through all of that, maybe just. Uh, can I ask you to talk a little, just a little bit more about yourself? Like, apart from what I described, which was really quick and summarized, what is one thing you would share uh, for people watching or listening to, te- to kind of tell them who is Alberta Joseph Alexander? Well, Alberta Joseph Alexander is a Caribbean citizen. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Besides loving cricket, mm. which is synonymous with West Indies cricket team, I actually enjoy tennis, not, not to play, but to watch. Mm-hmm. And I started to follow it again about two, two or three years ago. So I found back my love from childhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to take in the last bit of uh, Serena Williams mm-hmm. <laughs> as she makes her, her, her evolution, as she, she, she calls it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good. And what so, about science-wise? What's, what's your story been? I, I remember being a, a child and actually being outside watching a tree. A mm-hmm. pigeon peas tree, which is a legume grown in my country. And I said to myself, I wonder if we could make these seeds all pretty colored. Uh, pretty Betty, they would call it, because usually it's green. Mm-hmm. But I never knew that actually was something that people did as a, like a career or, or 
delved really deeply into. So in reflecting, I, I have been able to actually be in research, which is what that childhood taught was about, and mm -hmm. to actually work on the same plant, oh, pigeon wow. peas, and to try to improve it. <laughs> Not necessarily the seed color, but of other course. things. <laughs> so, so that journey is like a journey in plant science and crop improvement, which mm -hmm. was sparked from a child, even when I didn't even know that was something people did. That is so cool. So out of your child, your childhood curiosity, it ended up being a, actually what you worked on. And uh, can you can you let us know a little bit more about uh, about you know your actually PhD, your PhD experience and and uh, how it kind of connected with this aspect of science communication? Right. One of the interesting things is my PhD segued or came from a situation where researchers previous to my time had developed new varieties of the popular pigeon pea variety that we love to eat and grow. And mm. they, they, in bringing out or releasing these new varieties, they found it, it wasn't, it actually didn't take hold or, or wasn't accepted. So then uh, my research came in to see how we might be able to solve that problem and make the, the varieties more acceptable. So even though we won the game in the sense of making the, the pigeon peas more available year-round because people love to eat it, that is the fresh type more year-round, Mm -hmm. We lost the battle in terms of they actually like it, how it looked, and like mm -hmm. it, how it tastes. And so my, I came in to see if we could combine all the good features in one plant. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. so really, really trying, so it's really, um, what, what's the domain? Uh, so, because I'm thinking agronomy, but this is not really agronomy. This is really like try, is improvement, like variety improvement, but I... I don't know exactly what scientific domain we're talking about. It would be like plant breeding, crop improvement. Crop and okay. just to follow, complete what you were asking in terms of the science communication, you, you could see the communication element coming out there in the sense that we want to, to, to improve a crop for the consumer, but maybe... It required us to be in communication with them a little bit more and not to assume things. Mm -hmm. So we assumed that they would like the variety, but then they didn't like it as much as we thought, or we weren't as aware of what they were not prepared to, to accept in terms of taste or seed size. So, so this, that science communication element of research really comes in there, always mm -hmm. lazing with your target market, not just at the end or your target audience, not mm -hmm. just at the end, but during or even before, be, because you, you might assume you're doing something that is good, but not not see the whole picture, mm -hmm. and the public might not be ready for what you're, or or not might not yeah might not want what you're what you're preparing. Okay. 
I, I I see. So so I kind of see the 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 link, but I imagine part of this because so the, the, today we're talking about using Psycom to make a difference. And not everyone has kind of this penchant of going towards science communication. I imagine some of it had to do with with uh, your either uh, your gifts or your uh, your a passion of yours for communication. Can you can you talk a little bit a bit a little bit about that about why why you went into more deeply into this aspect of communication, which not all researchers are really uh, inclined to do. Okay, not a problem. Actually, one of the other things I found I enjoy doing as I grew up uh, from teenager into a young adult was being able to tell stories so that if they, let's say if it's a Bible story, I would try to tell it or share it, but in a modern day context. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's say if it's like an issue, say if it's flooding, etc., or an event, I would try to then share the information related to it in a, in a story format so that it would be more engaging. Mm-hmm. But I never actually taught even though I went to school and, and, and studied science, I never thought about linking the two S's, storytelling <laughs> and science. So that when I encountered this field of science communication, it was like this key unlocking a door where I could take the storytelling that I've always been doing, but n- not in the science field, and link it with science to, to, to now merge into science communication and share research results now in mm-hmm. a more broader context. Uh, and what one of the foundation or visions behind that too was that being from the Caribbean, sometimes you would get information from abroad, results, data, but there's still a nuance to the Caribbean context or even the Trinidad and Tobago, which you may say Trinbago context. (laughs) And therefore, it it may very well be that the the results are available, but it just locked up maybe in a library Mm -hmm. or behind a journal, behind a paywall. And this this research and this information that is especially relevant to the Caribbean or Trinidad and Tobago in particular isn't getting out there. Mm-hmm. The international data might be more accessible. So therefore, I, I saw like linking the science and the storytelling in science communication and using that for uh, sharing research would then be a wonderful avenue for making our information, per se, more accessible to the society. And once the society is able to hear data and research information in their context, then they, they, they have more, more, more material at their fingertips to then make better decisions. And, and just to close off that, part, not wanting to keep it too long. One of the things I also notice is that 
countries that were, you could say, doing very well in the competitive index were, were associated with having research and innovation and having these things robust and ruled out. So therefore, I said, if my country, Trinidad and Tobago, and I like this, you know, think of the Caribbean as well as we are part of the Caribbean, if we are going to improve economically and socially and in every other aspect, then being able to really make use of research and innovation is is one, one key way to do that. And how is we going to get that research and innovation? Well, they at least have to know about it. How they're going <laughs> to know about it? It has to be communicated. Mm-hmm. And science communication is that key field to do it. Of course, this makes a lot of sense. And uh, I, uh, I think, I believe your Twitter account uh, is, your handle is Dr. Storytell. And I imagine some of this you've been sharing on that, pl- on that platform. Is that it? Uh, yes. So I've been using the Twitter account more to start to share information. Uh, actually, the when, when I had signed up to do the the professional master in communication of science and innovation, I had a different Twitter account name mm-hmm. and my uh, coordinator said, well, you know, you should have a name that don't have a set of numbers behind it. And I was like, what could I call myself? And mm-hmm. then it came, well, doctor and storytell. Mm-hmm. So that with the doctor storytell, I'm looking to continue to be more robust in sharing uh, different information about what's happening in in research mm-hmm. I, I really love it and it, it's uh, it's interesting so my, just a personal note here a biographical note my mom comes from Cape Verde uh, I don't know if you know where Cape Verde is small yes. archipelago of islands uh, just off uh, Dakar just off uh, Senegal an ex-Portuguese colony and uh, my mom used to tell me so my great grandmother was actually illiterate and um my mom used to read to her when you know when staying with her but also my mom talked about this uh, very important culture and and uh, tradition of oral uh, storytelling and uh, people so these women that were going uh, probably selling things but town from town to town and that would tell a story and then stop and then you'd you'd hear the rest of the story when they would come back, <laughs> back to the to the village or through the city, whatever, and um, and I think what what you told about uh, messages needing to be uh, first accessible, but also packaged in a way uh, packaged in a way that local communities are able to absorb them and make use of them is super super important. And I really I really uh, uh, find it's very important that that young researchers such as yourself take that into their hands of I'm going to do this this work of I want to say translation but uh, also like popularization of the science because yes I agree with you 100% that grasping and being able to make use of research uh, data and 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 scientific knowledge is going to be key going forwards to deal with the plethora of challenges that that societies are dealing with and we can be talking 
uh, climate change, but also it could be it could have to do with disease like now with COVID. I believe I'm sure uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, science communicators have had to work a lot to pass uh, to pass across these messages that have been coming from I don't know the U.S. from Europe. And to pass it on to to the different communities in a way that they can identify with them and that they can act upon them. So so bravo for for taking on this uh, this mission, Alberta. Thank you. And uh, so so we, we've talked uh, like in this general way of um, of of yes of bringing scientific knowledge closer to communities. Uh, we've we've seen how your like your scientific path kind of crossed with that and you will even talk now of doing a master's in communication but uh, i'd really like to know now you know apart from these large uh, strokes of of how things transpired and how you you do what you do today of of, of maybe projects that are ongoing uh, actually during your short presentation i kind of let people uh, understand that you were working on a film. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. It's very exciting. <laughs> and so how did that all start? One of the interesting things again was that the research on pigeon peas and the film is about pigeon peas. So, as I was saying, one of the interesting things is that there has been decades of research happening in pigeon peas at the one of the universities where where I studied. That is the University of the West Indies, Saint Augustine campus. And I thought it was commendable that research has been going on for all these decades, um, going into well, eighty plus years. Mm-hmm starting from 1933. And uh, the thing about it is uh, we love peace. Research is happening. But maybe people need to know more. And I, and I was sharing it with my supervisor, uh, P- Professor Patmanitan Umaharan. And I initially thought of a book, like maybe compiling a book with all the different research that was done. So it would be in this one place, this encyclopedia of research. Mm-hmm. from Trinidad and Tobago. And then somewhere along the line, it the idea of a film came about because, you know, looking at videos and looking at movies is like this common thread mm-hmm. for, for anybody uh, from, you know, any walk of life, any aspect of life. And... Uh, because I had familiarity with, with uh, you know, video f- uh, from one of my companies I founded. And then I had been visiting the Trinidad and Tobago Film Festival. I said, look, okay. <laughs> let me try that route. So I went to one of the festivals and met a, a tr- Trinidadian who was into that area of okay. film coaching, but is based abroad. Her name is Joanne Butcher. So she's a business coach specifically for persons who want to produce film. Mm-hmm. And I connected with her and started my, my journey to developing a script 
for, for the Pigeon Pier outline. Mm. And so that would have been around 2019. May, okay. I would have connected with her. Before COVID. <laughs> I like how you say that. That's all part of the story. Of course. <laughs> And so, it, so that's mid-year 2019, I did the coaching with her. And the end of 2019, December, I started my first shoot. Aye, aye, aye. I see where this is going. <laughs> and then, I, so I said I wanted to interview persons who grow the peas. And so I visited farmers. I was able to do one of the interviews with the farmers, that was March 2020. Oh, yeah, and yeah. then in March also, I went to visit one of the scientists to do a location shoot. So I, so I had that week set aside to let's see if we knock out the interviews with scientists, knock out interviews with pigeon peas, those who love to eat pigeon peas. And I remember leaving from that particular uh, scientist and I went to the pigeon peas field to just check on some things. And it was that afternoon, COVID arrived in Trinidad and Tobago. Aye, aye, <laughs> and aye. so by the end of that week, mid-March 2020, well, they started to shut down things, you know, because out of abundance of caution. Of course, of course. And I only picked back up with doing interviews towards the, well, in December 2020, I restarted with some of the interviews and I'm happy to report that June of 2022, I completed interviews. So I interviewed persons who love to eat peas, mm -hmm. persons who love to grow peas and persons who have done research on <laughs> on pitch and peas, and now we're moving into the editing. Editing, which is another <laughs> adventure. <laughs> so, so the the in, so the interesting thing is that even though we love to eat pigeon peas in Trinidad and Tobago, and it's one of the key ingredients in one of the national dishes called pilau. Mm -hmm. Pigeon peas isn't available. That is the fresh one, which they love to eat the most. Fresh green pigeon peas isn't available throughout the year, that type of mm -hmm. variety. And imagine loving to eat something so much and you have to wait either for January, February. So in mm -hmm. 2022, so persons would have had fresh pigeon peas that the farmers would have picked and selling or they might have grown in the backyard, they only could get it January, February, and maybe early March. And then they have to wait till late November, December. And so, so scientists, as I said, decided, okay, we'll do our part to improve the varieties, but they encountered some interesting challenges, and that is explored in the documentary. Okay, okay, okay. So, so you're now... Well into the editing, I imagine. Uh, uh, getting the things organized to start the editing. Because it's a complex task, I know. <laughs> and Yes, and also, well, as the film coach would say, you not only want to have the creative side of filming, but you want to have the business side. So mm -hmm. in terms of picking up my pace with uh, uh, raising the funds, uh, 
towards the film because we set a budget at around 50,000 US for the mm-hmm. full rollout of the, the documentary. Okay. And so, it has been an interesting experience, as you could see, a plant scientist pulling, yeah. moving into the the film world. Yeah. No, it's it's super, super interesting. And it makes, because I, I you know I've met a bunch of scientists who are interested in, in different aspects of science communication, but often it will be um, building a, either a Twitter or an Instagram account or having a blog or a YouTube channel. And Actually, you know, producing a documentary is another level of complexity and uh, and uh, of organization. And um, I'd be I'd be really curious. So, because you mentioned, um, can you just give me a timeline of so your PhD and you, you mentioned the masters in communication? Uh, what what was the timeline of that, and how does that uh, how did that lead in terms of time to 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 this film project? So I would have completed the PhD in plant science, graduated in October 2018, and uh, did some, like, say, unofficial, if you want to call it, postdoc work, just following up for myself uh, some aspects of the project that I did uh, in terms of, well, if I have these new varieties, then the proof of whether it's worth it is uh, the tasted. So mm-hmm. I did a preliminary project just to get a feel of how, how people felt about the taste of the peas. And then, so then in 2019, after connecting with Joanne Butcher initially at um the end of 2018, I officially started uh, the. It's starting to work in pre-production of the film, and so the new the new timeline would be to have editing finish by to 2023, and let's say initial release at a film festival towards the end of 2023. God willing. Mm-hmm. And so then there's still that gap as to where this professional master came about. Mm-hmm. Yes. So one of the things was because you could say science communication in terms of a field of learning, developing in early stages of development uh, locally, it meant that I would have needed to 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 study abroad if I wanted to to develop further my skills in it. And I was kind of like, I wonder if I want to to like go abroad after finishing this PhD and you know family and my husband. And then well during the pandemic everything went online mm-hmm. <laughs> including this this uh, program in the University of Trento. So during the pandemic, not able to film, let's say, mm-hmm. on site. But during that lockdown time, I was able to do the the science communication postgraduate studies mm-hmm. from, let's say, uh, September 2020 to June 2021. So that's the gap in which it fell. And so it and in fact, the interesting thing is that uh, I was 
also able to do a myriad of other other short courses, uh, webinars related to science communication. And because of not having, you know, the all the resources available locally, it meant that I was uh, even in uh, a webinar hosted. I was in two webinars hosted by by science communicators organizations in Canada. Okay, so I, oh, that's so interesting. I, and that's how I heard about Papa PhD. So I think one of the benefits of having to search for resources and opportunities to become better at the craft, because it is a craft, it's a mm-hmm. field of, uh, you know, a legitimate field of study, was that I got to experience meeting like, re- like I don't know, it's like real science communicators <laughs> in, in Canada, New Zealand, India. Germany, USA, of course. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, <laughs> well, thank you. I, I try. <laughs> but uh, now a question. So you've done all this training. You said you you, you did even some, some courses, some piecemeal courses here and there. And uh, so you kind of took advantage that you had the time because COVID was around to do that. Sometimes people may ask and have asked, what's a key thing, a key skill to learn if I want to become a, a science communicator or even a full-time science communicator, in these courses that you've taken, what would you say is a key skill or maybe a key subject that you covered that you really feel enriched your uh, your profile as a science communicator? I would say that uh, as a person who did your doctorate, you would have to be like a strategic problem solver. Mm-hmm. And and you'll have, in a sense, to be detail-oriented. And, and one of the things I brought was that empathetic um, de- persona or demeanor. So therefore, mm-hmm. now, one of bringing that into the science communication, what I learned is that you have to really take the time to know your audience and to define your audience and not to assume that you know and and so that's one important thing. So I learned a lot about breaking down who your audience is, not only in terms of just the basic demographics, but, you know, psychographics of the thing, how they feel. And also not only the the first line audience, but also, the, which is, let's say, a primary target audience, but you also learned about your secondary target audience. In other words, uh you might want to reach a mother who has about, in terms of issues around the health of their child, let's say vaccination, but a mm-hmm. key secondary audience for her might be her, her mother mm-hmm. or her mother-in-law. So, so therefore, you have to take into consideration the target audience, the primary target, the secondary target, and then... Uh, Let's say that's one big area, and an, another area too is the so the what I would say the the media or the platforms which you would use to communicate, and that we, we learned about that in, in that in particular like the different types of social media are not the same, mm-hmm. and so if you're going to communicate to your target audience. 
then you have to know where they are. So that is what will help choose the platform you would use. So you go in that order per se, especially mm-hmm. if you know who you want to target, you go where they are. And they mm-hmm. don't say, well, I, I, I like YouTube, so I'll go YouTube. <laughs> if they're not there, well. You're missing your, your audience completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then related to that sort of order in which you would choose your platform is to design the information to suit the platform. So as you would realize, like with Instagram, is that heavy, heavy visual pictures and, and all short videos. And, and, in, and in fact, Instagram doesn't really allow links in that mm-hmm. sense directly. And then they have to take now take. So if you have some information, you have to now change it. So it's very visual based graphics. If you use an Instagram um, very video-based if you're using YouTube. And then I would say word-based in a way yep. if you're using Twitter, only because Twitter means you have to keep your word count uh, very restricted. And yes. so you have to power pack your words. Of course, of course, of course. And Facebook has a little more flexibility, but then remember, Facebook is like that lyman by a neighborhood block so you don't want it to get too too um stricted or over formalized Mm. so you have to put your words in a conversational way and then if it's linkedin now and you're on that platform you're allowed a little more professionalism but still you you connectivity So, so in short uh with that, you would have I would have learned about choice of platforms and how to tailor your content to mm-hmm. suit the platform for maximum effectiveness. I a hundred percent agree, and I do agree also that it all for all of those it all starts with defining your audience for sure. So where I was going is you talked about Facebook, you know, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and again, thinking of of the documentary you're doing. It's another level of complexity. And yes, you need to uh, also think about the audience uh, for sure. Uh, but there, you, you know, you've already talked about interviewing different types of people, people who enjoy eating the, the, the pigeon peas, people who enjoy uh, um, um, cultivating them, and also scientists who are trying to work on, on them to improve them. Um, and this, to me, shows a, another level of complexity, you know, needing to... Uh, to to have some project management skills for sure, uh, you know, to to deal with all of that logistics. But then I imagine also some technical aspects of even uh, filming, uh, recording audio, etc. Uh, so my question to you is, because these are so differentiated, I imagine getting someone uh, like the person you mentioned, who's your coach, or getting a course in filmmaking is something that is necessary to to embark on such a project? Right. And so after having hired the film coach to, to help with the pre-production stage, of course comes the production stage. Of course. And one of the things she would say is, uh, fund the film and hire the persons who are experts in those areas. Okay. So so I would have hired a crew 
poet, uh, videographer, experience in that area, and uh, song recorders. Mm -hmm. Beca because one of the things interesting they say is that if uh, a person will faster leave looking at a movie if they cannot hear well. Um, the and so I try to make sure that mm -hmm. I then guess when it comes to the song recording. And so I hired a, a separate song recorders for, for that aspect, Mr. Cedric Smart and Mr. Keon Reed to deal with the videography. And then okay. I'll, as such, um, also uh, hire someone to deal with the editing aspects. Do, though, of course, I made the, the I actually, uh, as part of my postgraduate program in the master, professional master, I, I decided I would do a five minute video. And so I interviewed someone okay. and I did my own editing and added my own music. And so uh, that so that helped. So I had my own like little small type of experience with it and i think that uh, help uh, would help for you to understand uh when you have to deal with the the professionals who are experts in those particular areas so then to answer your question yes i, I would have hired experts in the particular areas of song and video and now editing mm -hmm. and uh, um and so you'll have to as you say project manage around um <laughs> my time, their time, because uh, obviously they wouldn't be working on one project. And then, of course, you also have to coordinate with the availability of the interviewees. Mm -hmm. uh, and w one of the other things I, I did was that uh, I, I did, you could say, some reviewing or, or preliminary judging for Jackson Wild Media Awards. That that's okay. uh, one of the awards around what wildlife filmmaking, and I felt doing that as well would have you know given you that sharper eye with as being on the audience side of things. Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. what resonates, uh, what, what people like, what sticks out. Uh, you know pacing and all those type of things, and I also took advantage of. Um, opportunities for, like I think it was a six-week free um, training in editing that was wow. opened by okay. the Jackson Wild community. So, so because I um, I say all those things help you to understand better what you want mm -hmm. and what persons would be saying as you live with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very good. So, so then if. Now I understand, and uh, and you're doing the right thing. You're hiring the right professionals to do the, the 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 work, but there's one thing that you you then need to really work well at, and you mentioned it, which is getting the funding. And I think anyone you know wanting to start uh, a professional, let's say, science communication project, needs to figure out funding. Can you talk a little bit? And this is the end. We're getting to the end of the interview, but can you talk a little bit about where where you are, you know, the experience so far getting funding for your documentary and what key lessons you've learned so far? The process of uh, doing funding is an ongoing one. And uh, 
one of the things I, I learned is to, let's say, be able to, to sell yourself and explain and to, to help people to, to buy into something that you don't just want to be your own, but mm-hmm. to be their own. And so for me, it's just, you know, continuing to build that confidence like I would have done uh, first rounds to, let's say, get me through some early stages of the production. And uh, now I have to, to like, kickstart, if you want to say, the, the crowdfunding so that it would complete outstanding expenses, let's say, from pre-production and really have me questioned uh, properly as I move into the editing stage and one of the things about editing is not just uh, it's not just the footage itself to organize but then you want to bring in the 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 music element yes. and I could say that what one of the things I want to do for for the documentary is to 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 let people get the Caribbean music the feel mm-hmm. of the Caribbean music I want to, to have that uh, in the in the film and caribbean culture so that uh, uh especially for the diaspora persons who are not in trinidad and tobago but are abroad and they love their peas when they when they they watch the film it, it will just you know it will be like a whole love affair with yeah, of food. course <laughs> they'll feel like they're home <laughs> yes and so one of the, the key things now is to, to get uh, the, the crowdfunding page and also going fully and properly and to also speed up the, um, to do some more grant, grant writing mm-hmm. be, be, because there would be uh, grants out there, let's say, in the maybe women filmmakers, uh, um, filmmakers of color, uh, filmmakers looking at issues related to the sustainable development goals. And so I want to do some more focus efforts in th- that area. Alberta, I'd really love to, you know, as, as kind of a last question, uh, and you've mentioned a few things already. You know, you've mentioned the question of thinking about your audience, choosing, knowing where this audience goes for information, and choosing your platform accordingly. But uh, I'm just uh, imagining, you know, someone who has an idea, uh, something, you know, a subject they really like, but they feel like, oh, you know, uh, making a movie or a documentary or or or, or a podcast is is, you know, it's not for me. I, you know, I. No one around me does it, uh, and you know they don't feel uh, they, they have maybe this imposter syndrome uh, uh, preventing them from giving that first step of I don't know borrowing a microphone to start recording or a camera. Do you have a last word of encouragement for someone like that who's in this position of uh, uh, I, I wanted I'd love to do that, but uh, I don't think it's for me. I would say start small. Like find the smallest, easiest thing you could do. Mm-hmm. And if it's just like 
chatting with your friend or, or, or a colleague, uh, they're sitting down with them and asking them questions and hearing what they say and then you sharing and then they're sharing. It, that is like an informal type of interviewing. Mm-hmm, so you mm-hmm. start there and you develop and then you go from there because what I realize is everything has to start somewhere. And so you, what you're seeing in front of you in terms of this big podcast mm. and this big documentary or this big filmmaking, it, it really, um, let's pull back and say, like, why do I want to do this? And what about it I like? Mm-hmm. If it is that I like finding out information, just simulate that in an easier setting. Uh, if it's like you, in my case, I uh, my vision is to seek the welfare of the city mm-hmm. or my country, which is actually is is based on a Bible verse, Jeremiah twenty nine seven. So I have this passion that I want to. I want to make my my country well and I want to make it good and this is my way of doing it. So mm-hmm. so maybe focus focus on the easiest thing that you could do next and focus on what drives you. And when it gets difficult, that will be like your your fire to push you and keep you going. And mm-hmm. then you have a good example of Papa PhD. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I think you 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 really hit the nail on the head. Uh, don't don't compare yourself uh, to things that are already rolling because they have this inertia and you know. But things start small. They do they do. And uh, and uh, the first episode of Papa PhD is not the same as this current episode that we're recording. It didn't go the same way. I didn't go about it the same way. And uh, it wasn't as uh, natural. It didn't sound as nat- I didn't sound as natural, etc. But yeah, allow yourself to maybe fall flat a couple of times or feel ridiculous. But but give give yourself a chance. I agree with you a hundred percent. So just try, and then yeah. see what see what happens from there. Yes, because uh, uh, look like uh, I'm on like the first podcast sharing about science communication, and uh, it. You know, it, it happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as you said, we, we took a while to connect, uh, but it happened. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes, yeah, time is there, but let time be an opportunity, not a, a fear factor. Very, very, very good point. I agree. Not, not an oppressor, uh, just an, an opportunity. Uh, Alberta, this, this has been a great conversation. I'm really eager to hear more about your project. And uh, do let me know when you have this crowdfunding link. I will put it in the show notes of your episode. I, I hear, I understand that it's not ready yet, uh, but whenever it is, uh, just do write it to me, and I'll add it in there. Because uh, I, I, you know, this way, any anyone listening who's interested in your project can chip in and help you uh, get to, the, to this next level in your documentary. Uh, I, I really, really uh, enjoyed the fact that we've even had more commonalities there than uh, than first expected. Uh, we can talk about that uh, another time. But yeah, uh, I, I really admire your your impetus to uh, to go create and the the fact that you took that chance 
uh, or that opportunity, you know, which was kind of a, this moment of COVID where things couldn't happen on the on the terrain. And you said, okay, you know what? I'm going to get some training. I'm going to, you know, do some networking. And now here you are uh, at this level of preparing this documentary. Uh, it's super, super inspiring. And uh, I'm sure uh, listeners will have, will have enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. So thank you. Thank you for, for having me here today. Thank you very much for the opportunity.